0: And I got to get up here already? Man. Uh. All right. Now we got everything. Now we got the first things first, right? Amen. Amen. Wow. Well, I'm really excited about. Beginning a new series of of messages entitled, The Fruit of the Spirit, get this second part, Are You (laughs) Sun-Ripened? Amen? Are You Sun-Ripened? I don't know about you, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know He's in there. Amen? I know I'm a born-again Christian. I know He's in there. But there's a lot of times in my life when I'm not filled. Amen? I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 as we begin this new series of messages entitled uh, Fruit That's Always in Season. Uh, We're going to begin with love. And I'd like to share with you from the Living Bible this morning. It's going to be a little bit different than what you're going to see in your Bibles this morning, because I want you to understand what a lot of these words that we don't normally use, I want you to understand what they mean, okay? So, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, okay? I believe that he's writing to people uh, that also want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay? And in verse 16, he says to these Christians in Galatia, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For your old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are completely opposite to what the sinful desires want. But when you are led by the Spirit, when you are filled with the Spirit, you no longer need to force yourself to obey God's laws. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, an eagerness for lustful pleasures, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hatred and fighting, jealousy and anger, constantly trying to get the best for yourself, complaining and criticizing, the feeling that everybody's wrong except for those in your little group, being envious, being a murderer, and all that sort of thing. Let me tell you again, as I have told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Spirit controls your life, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, He will produce this kind of fruit in your life. When you become a disciple, we're talking about in order to make one, you gotta be one, amen? In order to make a disciple, you first gotta be one yourself. When the Spirit controls your life, when you have truly become a disciple, he'll produce this kind of fruit in your life. Listen carefully. Love. The fruit of love will be in your life. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no conflict with God's laws. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, that is those who have become a disciple, have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. If we are living now in the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Then we won't need to look for honors and popularity. We won't need to look for those things that lead to jealousy and hard feelings. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Holy Spirit, how we desire to live Holy Spirit-filled lives. We want you to be honored that way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Today, we're going to focus on that first fruit that I mentioned of the Spirit-filled life. That first fruit, that first... Evidence that you are truly a disciple, that first evidence that the Spirit of God is in your life, that first evidence, and it's God's love. When you're truly a disciple, when you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, the love of God is going to be evident in your life. One characteristic that should be absolutely apparent, clearly evident in every Christian life is the love of the Lord our God. People ought to be able to see the love of God in you. First, we're going to see the need for this love. Then we're going to see a perfect example of that love. And then we're going to read some scripture that will help us to follow and apply this scripture to our lives. So let's first see the positive need for love. Would you agree with me that we live in a world that desperately needs love? Everybody agree with that? Amen? But even though our society glorifies this need for love, there is really very little evidence that true love exists. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's so little evidence that true love exists? I need some responses. I want to know. Anybody have any ideas? Why do you think there's so little evidence of true love in our world? People are self-centered? Absolutely. There's only about a million answers, and that's certainly one of them. Why is there so little evidence of true love in our world today? Mmm. Self-centered, in love with yourself? You're absolutely right, Kathy. What else? Do we have... Oh. Who said that? Beverly. Beverly. We're afraid? Amen. Some people are afraid to go out on a limb and truly love. That's absolutely true. Do we have an enemy out there that makes it difficult to love? Let me tell you, you do if you don't know it. You do. God is left out. We said as we began the service that God's got to be number one. And when God ain't number one, guess what? His love's not going to be manifested through your life. That's just the way it is, okay? tell you what a lot of our seniors would say that Elwood the world's just moving too fast ain't got time to love that's good that's good I got a couple other responses for you I think one is maybe we're misguided for instance would you agree with me that in a very real way our society seems to equate sex with love True or false? Many people engage in sex, but there ain't the slightest thought of love. Amen? I think another reason that we're misguided is because some people think that indulgence is love. People have children and they buy them all kinds of wonderful, beautiful things like expensive clothes and $200 athletic shoes and brand new red convertibles, and they think they're getting it for them because they love their child. I read where three people were tragically killed in Olmedo, Texas when their car tried to outrun a train at a railroad crossing. Now, the parents of this 15-year-old driver are grief-stricken over the loss of the son they truly loved. You see, they loved their son so much that when he turned 15, they bought him a brand new Trans Am. And they loved him so much that they let him drive it as a 15-year-old. They loved him so much, they let him drive that brand new car illegally. Then he races a train, and he loses. Now the family is suing for millions over the loss. But indulgence is not love. Sex is not love. Another way that we're misguided, I think, is we think that tolerance is love. But tolerance is not love either. In today's time, uh, it's almost popular to be very tolerant of one another. So many people think that no matter what your lifestyle may be, we're supposed to be tolerant of it. But you know, as I read the scriptures, as I read God's word, and I understand the Bible, if somebody is living a life that's leading them to hell, if I really love that person, then I'm going to do everything humanly possible that I can do to help them change the way they're living and avoid the direction they're heading. Amen? If I truly love that person with God's love. So I think we're misguided if we think that sex is love. We're misguided if we think that indulgence is love or that tolerance is love because friends love is so much more than that. Another reason I think there's so little evidence of true love in our society is because I think that love is misunderstood. I don't know that many people really know what true love is. And one of the problems is our language, the English language. All the other languages, most of the other languages, have several words that describe these different kinds of love. But English has just got one word. Just one word to describe this emotion, and we use it in so many ways. Think about uh, those two people uh, in a lip lock underneath the oak tree. And he says to her, honey, I love you. Then you spot the same two people down at the fish krill, and he's rubbing his belly saying, oh, I love catfish. Then you see the same two people driving down the road, and you see a bumper sticker on their car that says, I love the Alabama Crimson Tide, or I love the Auburn Tigers. Ralph Sockman said it best. He said, love is an overworked word for an underemployed emotion. Is that true or what? An overworked word for an underemployed emotion. I think he's absolutely right. We use it all the time, but we really don't employ the emotion. No wonder our society misunderstands what love is. We use it in all these bizarre ways. So, we're misguided about love, and I think we often misunderstand love. But another reason that I think there's very little evidence of why true love exists in our society is because it's playing out just missing. True love is missing. We don't need to look very hard to see evidence of our, in our country of hatred. You turn that boob tube on, and you'll see it. Crime, blatant sinful activity, Outright hatred. Every day, the news proclaims the absence of love in our society. But I got to tell you, there's also some bright spots in our society. One couple is driving down the road, and they see a woman walking alongside of the highway with a baby. You know how it is. You're driving along at 70 miles an hour or 80, depending on who you are. Amen. You're driving along the highway, and uh, it just takes a few seconds for you to react. Well, this couple saw her, and then they saw the car that she was driving with a flat tire. Quickly, the wife said, Honey, you got to stop. So he started to slow down to stop. But before he could back up to her, he saw four other cars slowing down and stopping to help this young lady. There are moments in our life when we are stirred to be loving and kind. So there are some bright spots. But what about in our everyday life? Think about these examples. What about when we have an elderly relative that needs 24-hour-a-day help and you're getting just a little bit tired of it? You're getting just a little weary of that responsibility, what in the world do you do? You love. What about that single parent? Lonely, tired of being both mom and dad, struggling to keep their heads above water, financially speaking, how in the world can that single parent keep on keeping on? Love. What about that teenager? Crying out for attention. They just want somebody to listen to them. They want somebody to look at me. Just listen to what I have to say. There's something inside me that you need to hear. There's something inside me that you need to understand. How do we respond to that teenager? Love. Love. Because love hears, and love strives to understand. Friends, this world we live in is starving for love. Starving for love, but all too often, love is missing. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said in John chapter 13, listen carefully. He'd already given us the Ten Commandments and a whole host of other instruction, but in John chapter 13, he said, a new commandment I give you. What does that mean? Listen up, boys. A new commandment I give you, love one another. How much do I have to love one another? And then he said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he goes on to say that all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. The theme of 2013 here at Bethel is be one making one. One disciple making another disciple. And right here, our Lord and Savior says that all men will know that you are his disciples if you love one one another that's the first and simplest command that you can know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and that's by loving one another to make one you gotta be one so I want to encourage you in the Lord this morning to be known by men that you are one of Jesus's disciples by loving one another You know, kids join gangs because they live in dysfunctional families. So what happens? The gang becomes their family. People join cults. Why? Because they're starved for love. They just want to be loved. I read that out in California, there's a New Age cult that actually worships crystals. Crystals. One lady was talking about her relationship with her crystal and the love that she receives from her crystal and how she sleeps with her crystal. And when she wakes up in the morning, she feels love emanating from her crystal. How sad to be so starved for love that you sleep with a rock that you sleep with a rock and think that that rock is a source of love. But she's so starved for love. Friend, there is a positive need for love that pervades every element of our society. But personally speaking, I want you to know, that there is a positive need for love that pervades every corner of the Bethel community you live in. They're starved for love too. And God wants to use you to give it to them. So if you have issue, you need to take it up with Jesus, amen? If you have an issue with the society's need for love, You need to take it up with the perfect example of love. Amen? Jesus Christ, the perfect example. If you would, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. And let me share with you about this perfect example of love. John chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 9. Every one of these words that I'm going to share with you are the words of Christ himself, the words of God. And in John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things are spoken to you for this reason, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love has no man found than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you a servant, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I have called you my friends. For all the things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask in the Father, to the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you, that you love one another. Wow. Think about this. The love that the Savior has for us is the same love that God the Father has for Jesus. The same love that Christ has for you is the same love that his Father had for him. Just think. The love that your Savior has for you is the same in quality and the same in quantity that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share with one another. That's a crazy love, amen? A crazy love. You know, when we hear those words, our hearts should crumble. We should bow down, spiritually speaking, in worship and thank Him for the love that He pours out on us. Because in essence, God, the love that God has for you, that vast, wide, deep, immeasurable love, is a love that surpasses all understanding. But did you hear what the Bible says there in verse 11 of John chapter 15? The Bible says that Jesus wants the joy he finds in communion with the Father to be your joy. I don't know how you measure that kind of joy, but Jesus wants the joy that he has with the Father to be your joy as well. And he taught that that real joy comes by receiving the love of God and allowing it to emanate from your life. You know, here's the most significant way that I think we can show evidence of God's love. And that is becoming a vessel. Now, what happens when a vessel gets full? When a vessel gets full... It overflows. God says that he wants all his joy to be poured out on you, and the best way for you to experience that is by becoming a vessel of God's love that's filled and overflowing into the lives of others. Jesus said, love one another how much as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He died for us. He gave his all for us. He gave everything that he could possibly give for us. The greatest example of human self-sacrifice is a willingness to die for your friends. And people who are willing to do this, people who are willing to be vessels of God's love, They don't fight with each other. No, they die for one another. They give their all for one another. You know, through the years here at Bethel, some of our brothers and sisters have literally laid down their lives for you. Others, uh, still alive, have spent their whole lives in untiring service for you, the people of God. While they're good examples, they're not the perfect example of love. Jesus is the perfect example of love, and He has made known to us all the things that the Father's made known to Him. And He chose us. Did you hear that? He chose us to be disciples. He chose us to be disciples, to be vessels of His love. But He didn't want you to just carry that vessel for yourself. He wanted you to pour it out on other people. That reminded me of one time my son, who is now 26 years old, was about eight years old, and the boy had just a hot temper. And he was in the living room, and I had a glass of water on the coffee table, and man, that temper just went off. I mean, he got so hot, and he started yelling and screaming and throwing a tantrum, and right there in the middle of that living room, I told, took that whole glass of ice water, and I just threw it on him. And he, went, bah, 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 bah. he couldn't figure it out. That's what we need to do to people. You Think there's a lot of hate in this world? Think there's a lot of crime in this world? Think there's a lot of sin in this world? There is. Why don't we take these vessels of love and just pour it out on them? See what happens. My, my. He chose us. But friends, listen. He's not interested in mere professions of faith. He's interested in those who are willing to become vessels of love. He wants you to become a vessel. So we've seen a positive need for love, seen that perfect example of love in Christ Jesus. But now I want to share with you a practical example of love. I mean, why do I need to know how to apply God's love? What do I need to know? to apply God's love through my life? Well, there's several things you need to know. One is that true love fills the needs of others before it meets the needs of self. Furthermore, not only does it fill the needs of others before it fills the wants of self. Amen? Don't tell people that Jesus loves them if you're not willing to love them yourself. Don't tell them Jesus loves you. Won't you be saved today if you're not willing to love on them a little yourself? You know, I can preach dozens of sermons on love and they would be completely accurate and completely from the word of God. But do you know that one act of love on your part can communicate love far better than a zillion sermons I might preach. One act of love. Random acts of kindness. Random acts of love. You know, as a Christian family, we need to learn to meet the needs of others. As a Christian family... We need to realize what society says. Society says, you know, meet your wants first, then you might be able to meet the needs of others. But that's not what the church says. The church says we'll meet the needs of others, and then we'll deal with the wants of ourself later. I mean, think about it. What would have happened if Jesus had thought the way society thinks? I'll tell you what would have happened if Jesus would have thought that way. we had been forced to die in our sin, and we'd be eternally separated from God. There'd be no hope for anyone. I read a poem by Barbara Reberg. It's entitled, The Greatest Test. And I just want you to pause and just listen to these words for a second and see if you can identify as I did. Help me walk so close to thee that those who know me best will see. That I live as godly as I pray and Christ is real from day to day. I see some once a day or year. To them I blameless may appear. It's easy to be kind and sweet to people who we seldom meet but in my home are those who see too many times the worst of me my hymns of praise were best unsung if I did not control my tongue may no one stumble over me because your love they fail to see give me Lord a life that sings and victory over little things. Help me, Lord, with those who know me best, for Jesus' sake, to stand the test. It's amazing to me that so often we can love a perfect stranger and, and show random acts of love to a stranger, but then to those in our own home, we treat them like dirt. Love meets the needs of others before it meets the needs or the wants of self. But there's another application, and that is this love leads people to Jesus. Amen? Everybody has a desire that somebody through them might come to know the Lord. Well, guess what? Love leads people to Christ. It's infectious, it's contagious. People want what you got. When they see God's love filling your soul, then they want what you got. In a world that starved for love, if, if Christians will just learn this one principle and we'll become a loving family, we will draw people to Jesus. But if the people of God can't get along, why does anybody want to be a part of us? Praise God that here at Bethel, we are a loving church family. You know, I read the story of an old preacher who was riding on a bus and a drunk comes stumbling on on board the bus and sits down right beside that preacher. Immediately that preacher pulls out his Bible and he starts reading scripture to to the drunk and he announced to the drunk, do you know that you're going to hell? And that drunk said, oh, doggone it, I got on the wrong bus again. Wow. The world needs to know that only sin leads people to hell. And the best way to lead people away from hell is to lead people into a relationship with Christ. We've got to show them how to get to heaven. We've got to be disciples and be willing to share our faith with others. We need to communicate this incredible message of love. I don't know if you heard it or not, but what Chad shared in John chapter 3, 16 and 17 is Christ's, God's message of love. And if you'll learn those two verses, you'll be armed with enough ammunition to lead someone to Christ in love. Love meets the needs of others before it meets the wants of self, and love leads people to Christ. But there's a third application and I'll close. Love sees people for what they can become not really what they are. Did you hear that? True love sees people for what they might become, not necessarily what they are. That adulterous woman was a pitiful sight. Tears Streaming down her face. Her clothing was torn. Guilty as she could be of the sins she'd committed. Yet Jesus looks at her and sees her for what she can become rather than what she is. Can you do that? Can you look at that person neck deep in sin and see them for what they might become rather than what they really are? True love can do that. True love can do that. Even with the hard cases, amen? We got a few hard cases on Wednesday night. Going to get a testimony from anybody? We got a few hard cases. Difficult ones to deal with. But there's never more evidence of love in this building than there is on Wednesday night. Because the leaders and the teachers and the helpers and the the ones that cook, all they do is see what those children are going to become. Not necessarily what or where they are. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul paints a beautiful picture of what the church really is. He talks about how wicked people won't inherit the kingdom of God. He gives this long list of people that ain't going to heaven. He says that those who practice sexual immorality, they ain't going. Those who practice idolatry, they ain't going. Adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of those, he says, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, this is what some of you once were. He stated a fact, but then he reminded us, this is what some of us once were. And look what we have become. You see, we too stand beside this woman Caught in the act of adultery. We're sinners too. Every one of us. But Paul says, but then you were washed. You were washed, you were forgiven, you were set apart, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's a picture of the church. Just a big old room full of sinners that have been washed, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, set apart for God's service, justified by the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit of God. People caught in the act of the sin. Of the sin. Amen? You were caught. When you confess that Jesus is Lord, you were caught. Red-handed, you were caught and you were washed, you were forgiven, you were set apart and justified by the Son of God. We ain't no different than that woman. Some of that you once were. No different from them, just forgiven. You know, I want our church more than anything to be a family of love. More than anything, I want to be able to come here. I want you to be able to come here. I want others to be able to come here and feel totally and completely loved. You may not feel loved out there, but you're going to feel loved in here. Amen. If we'll love each other like God has loved us, then we'll be a family of God that'll be like a magnet. And we'll draw people into this place, into this family, and we'll draw people, a world starving for love, into the presence of the Son of God himself. And the salvation he offers. Then and only then will we be true disciples. Love. The fruit of the spirit that's always in season. You know, God doesn't want a bunch of Christian nuts. He just wants the fruit of the spirit. And it begins with love. To make one, you first got to be one. You say, Brother Bill, how in heaven's name am I going to be one? Today we shared about the first step you can take to becoming a disciple. And that is to have the love of God emanating and overflowing out of your life. You may say, Brother Bill, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I don't know how to get that love. I don't know how to establish that relationship with God where that love can fill me and overflow out of me. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. How do you begin that step? How do you begin that process? By believing in the love of Christ that was given for you to forgive you of your sins. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord above, I thank you so much for your love, for that incredible love of God that surpasses all of our understanding. Father, before we can emanate that love out of our lives, we have to know it ourselves. And Lord, it's my prayer that if there's someone here today that does not have a relationship with you, they have not experienced the love of God that was given to us through Jesus Christ, Father, that they can step out of their pew, take a step of faith, and allow me to show them what the Bible says about how they can be gloriously and miraculously saved. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would provide them with a still soft whisper that will lead them to receive the love you have to offer. Lord, I pray that all of the family of God here at Bethel would become vessels of God's love that overflows into the lap of other people. Lord, let us have a place here, a family here, where we can all come, where everyone can come and enjoy the feeling of being totally and completely loved. Lord, we love you this morning. And we thank you so much for your love for us that you showed us through Christ Jesus. And I pray now, whatever decision needs to be made this morning, that you would urge that person to make that decision for your glory alone. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen That's all